0: you're listening to that's pretty dark
1: the podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children
0: and still haunts us as adults so grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders
1: and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize,
0: whoa, well, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. Guess who's back, 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 back again, again, again? Furby's back. <laughs> Tell all your friends, everybody, Furby's back.
1: Well, we had some friends tell us, actually. Some of our listeners shared that, uh, I don't even want to call it exciting news. A
0: new generation of kids can discover their own curious little creature and kindred spirit that's sure to be their next BFF. With a history of disrupting pop culture in the toy aisle, Furby reminds kids that they can be hilarious, wacky, perfectly imperfect selves because... That is what makes them special.
1: Okay, so they're taking I, it like my God. Uniqueness is good. It's good to hey, be all you weird. You kids are
0: alone. I can
1: tell you of all the things that I've called a Furby in my life, kindred spirit has not been one. You're of all them. so
0: alone. You're all socially distant, and you need a friend. Yes. You know what you need to make us billions of dollars.
1: <laughs> they had to wait just enough time to where the kids that were traumatized by it have grown up to have children that don't know. Yeah. And the parents are going to be like, okay, I guess I'll, you know, let you figure it out for yourself.
0: I'm nostalgic and sad about this, but I'm also jealous because I don't think they're going to be traumatized because look, the colors, they're the cuter. colors are like purple and coral mm-hmm. and they're, they are cuter.
1: They're so they're less way less menacing. Intimidating. Menacing. Yeah. Definitely. And
0: their eyes, the eyelids are going to go like clickety clackety.
1: <laughs> they may. You never know.
0: It's creepy as hell
1: the motion that you just did with your hands it's uncanny it's the same as a furby
0: speaking of uncanny and creepy as hell (laughs) uh, you're listening to that's pretty dark
1: where christian is the master of the segue (laughs) (laughs) i'm
0: so good i mean two years of this i i have to have learned something
1: my name is kaylin
0: well guys the solstice was last week so we thought we'd commemorate the arrival of summer. By covering what Bloody Disgusting calls the most traumatic episode of Salute Your Shorts, <laughs> which is arguably the most summertime show of all 90s nostalgia.
1: I personally have only seen like a handful of episodes of Salute Your Shorts, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Christian is surprising to you because you know how much I just absolutely adore summer camp You for
0: summer camp, yeah.
1: I love summer camp. Bug Juice is one of my favorite shows. You were shows. sending me
0: pictures last night from you at summer camp.
1: Yeah. When you were I, a counselor. I I love summer camp so much. But, you know, as a very sophisticated, like five year old that I was by the time this show was in reruns, because it was coming out, you know, the year I was born. Sure. But yeah. by the time it was in reruns and I was a very sophisticated five year old, in choosing my entertainment i avoided salute your shorts specifically because i felt like the whole thing was about toilet humor what yeah that's just the vibe i had so i was like okay i don't like it it.
0: it's not not about that but it is kind of funny (laughs) since toilets are kind of featured in this episode (laughs)
1: exactly so then when i came to this episode for the rewatch i was like point proven see five-year-old kaylin knew what she was talking about
0: that's right guys we're talking about the ghost story episode featuring the one and only terrifying Zeke the Plumber.
1: So many of you have mentioned Zeke the Plumber to us. One
0: of our most requested. Yeah. For sure. People are like Zeke the Plumber, WTF.
1: I think part of it is because people people that didn't even go in like you go into Arfa the Dark, you know what you're going to get, right? Yeah. yeah. I think to a degree the things that scared people the most or not even scared people the most, but it was just the element of surprise of this scary episode.
0: Megan Navarro uh, from the Bloody Disgusting article, that's a lot of what she talks about in her article. And I pulled a few quotes. And she says that horror tends to be at its most effective when we least expect it.
2: For sure. When
0: fear catches us completely off guard. Mm -hmm. Often, the episodes centered around pranks, camp life, and the dynamics between the diverse personalities at camp. But the second episode opted to go for the jugular, with its creepy slant on a camp staple, the ghost story.
1: And that's a good point too—the fact that it was the second episode the of the second. series. They just it came wasn't out like so swinging with this was an established episode, and they were just going to take a risk. This was like right there. This was just right up top. We d- we barely know who the characters are.
0: Which I have thoughts
1: on that and too. We're in
0: a ghost story. I have thoughts on that too. <laughs> I'm mad about it. Whoa, I'm going to get to it. We've really been waiting for like the perfect summer break vibes to uh, indulge in some spooky summer camp nostalgia here. love it. So if you're looking for something to kick off your own spooky summer, you've come to the right place because our episode tonight is all about the horror subgenre known as summer camp horror.
1: I've been so excited since we kind of conceptualized this. I'm just yeah. so excited about it. Me
0: too. I've I told a few people actually in our emails um, who mentioned things like this and I'm like, oh, just just wait for the summer. We're going to go to camp. We're going to camp. So it's also fitting that this show and this episode premiered in July of 1991. Huh. So this episode's coming out
1: right on time. I like that. I like when we're in synchronicity. Yeah.
0: Well, we. <laughs> I was thinking about that. We just missed the the 30-year anniversary of Jurassic Park.
1: Oh, man. Just
0: a few weeks ago. But, yeah, you know what? We got Zeke the plumber.
1: (laughs) Good for us. Priorities.
0: (laughs) So you guys, you know, do what you got to do. Grab a couple freeze pops. I got me some in the freezer right now. Oh
1: my God. That sounds um, amazing.
0: Yeah. I just picked some up last week. The
1: ones that really like destroy your mouth. <laughs> yes, Plastic. Like, yes. Yeah. Side, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Or go eat you a ton of watermelon. Like I just, I just filled my stomach I with watermelon. I
1: wish that I could have the watermelon. I think guys, I've discovered a watermelon allergy.
0: Not surprised.
1: Not to make it about me and my medical drama as it always is, but uh, Not surprised. that's really putting a damper on my summer so far.
0: I love the summer pumpkins. <laughs> Or, if you guys want to get drunk, you can take a sip every time we say the word summer or camp or summer camp. (laughs) It's going to be a
1: lot. Perfect. You guys are going to have a good time.
0: So, the IMDb summary Budnick's ghost story gets campers believing in a ghostly, dream invading custodian who uses an accursed plunger to suck secrets out of kids' heads.
1: (laughs) I have to tell you that (laughs) having actually not seen this as a child that I recall, Mm The concept is very scary.
0: It is scary. Like,
1: that's terrifying. The thought that your own private thoughts are not your own or your own secrets are not your own. Your
0: secrets are not secret. It's something that plagued all yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We're going to get all of like that. I
1: like how they tied that in. I, I really do. So yeah. I was I was pleasantly surprised with the complexity of the haunting yeah. in that aspect. But we'll get
0: there. I will say, I feel like it was underplayed, the whole plunger aspect. Agreed. I really wish they'd, like, overtly made it. About into it. using the plunger to suck out the secrets. Mm-hmm. But it's a way cooler premise than I think was actually depicted in the episode.
1: But I don't disagree. I'm
0: sure four or five-year-old me strongly disagreed <laughs> when I saw this <laughs> and was terrified. But my summary, Budnick tells a ghost story about an old camp custodian named Zeke who died in a gas explosion at Camp Anawana years ago, but now haunts the dreams of any camper who touches his cursed plunger. When Michael and Telly have nightmares where Zeke's ghost reveals their greatest fears, they scheme with the other campers to scare Budnick and pay him back. And this episode was written by Steve Slavkin, the show's creator.
1: Nice. And it
0: was directed by Jefferson Kibbe.
1: It seems like the kind of thing that he made the show to be able to do. You know what I mean? A ghost
0: story episode?
1: Yeah, kind of a a haunted episode. I feel like this was in his wheelhouse from the get-go.
0: And being so iconic, it's only fitting to give the show's history its own due.
1: I absolutely agree. Briefly. Let's do it.
0: Salute Your Shorts lived in the glowing early 90s era of children's afternoon programming that served as a prelude to the Nickelodeon Golden Age, airing alongside and leading up to other Nick classics like The Adventures of Pete and Pete, Clarissa Explains It All, Doug, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life, and our beloved Are You Afraid of the Dark? Just to name a few. It
1: puts me in a really good headspace hearing all of those names together. It just feels (laughs) so good, I know.
0: Season one aired in summer of 91 from July to October. Season two aired in summer of 92 from June to September. And reruns, like you were saying, aired until 1999, which is how we would have watched the show because yes. we were wee babes.
1: And or it non-existent. Out. I came along around the time that season two was premiering. Actually, aired, yeah, I was airing time. when you
0: were uh, <laughs> popping out of the old. Yeah. Moving on. All right. <laughs> It follows an ensemble cast of all very different kids around Camp Anawana, which is, in fact, a play on someone saying, I don't wanna. Mm. So if a name like Camp Anawana and a concept uh, and the concept of saluting your shorts like a flag on a flagpole isn't a dead giveaway, this show was a situational comedy that was focused on the sorts of antics that a group of strong-minded and iron-willed children might get up to around a relatively poorly run summer camp.
1: You can say that again.
0: This show is a situational comedy that was focused on the sorts of antics that a group I of strong-minded... I watched you decide whether, I, whether you wanted to do I was that was trying joke. to find my spot in the paragraph because it was a mouthful <laughs> to begin with. And I was like, where do I start? <laughs> I at know the Very a
1: mouthful. That's why I said... <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, could. man. I'm really practicing. I'm putting in the um, what I've learned about breathing techniques. Impressive. On this podcast.
1: Man, I need to learn about breathing techniques.
0: And it was based on a humor book called Salute Your Shorts, Life at Summer Camp.
1: Do you guys remember humor books? Humor
0: books. As a genre?
1: (laughs) Like joke books that you would get, you know, at the Scholastic Book Fair or the library.
0: My favorite one I have, it's a book of like computer humor, (laughs) but it's R.L. Stein.
1: That's perfect. It's great. So as if the computer from Courage the Cowardly Dog wrote it. Sure. Yes. Perfect.
0: And this book was co-written by the show's creator, Steve Slavkin, and his friend Thomas Hill. And when Nickelodeon was looking for original afternoon content to compete with Disney, it's it's unclear. They either approached Steve or he pitched the idea to Nick. Different sources say different things.
1: Either way, it was meant to be.
0: So they shot a pilot called Welcome to Bunk 13 that aired in October of 1990 and served as the template for the first episode of season one, which had to be pretty much completely recast and reshot. Because some of the kids had already outgrown their roles.
1: Yeah, that's tricky when you're working with that middle school age group because they, they do grow so fast, grow so quickly and so visibly.
0: Despite only running two seasons, it was one of Nickelodeon's most popular series and still is one of Nick's most fondly remembered shows. However, It would probably be a much bigger deal in the nostalgic Gen Y zeitgeist if it hadn't come down to the same pesky villain we all know as the business side of things. (laughs) The money, the bureaucracy. It
1: always gets in the way, doesn't it?
0: Most places online say the show was canceled because the main cast, or more likely their parents, didn't want to relocate from Los Angeles to Orlando to film seasons three and four. But the question is, why did they have to? Yeah. This is because Nickelodeon's parent company, Viacom, wanted them to reduce their overall budget so MTV could fund production of their new little show called Beavis and Butthead.
2: Whatever.
0: And budget restrictions like these are partially why Nick was also known for underpaying its child actors. But also why Salute Your Shorts ultimately fell apart. That sucks. See, when Nickelodeon refused to give the cast raises for a potential third and fourth seasons, Steve Slavkin, in protest, walked out of filming. And Nick never budged, so Steve never returned, and they finished filming the second season without him. About two weeks worth.
1: I really hate that.
0: And then to tighten up the budget further, Nickelodeon decided to move production from a soundstage in Los Angeles to their studios in Orlando. The cast was reluctant to move, and with Steve gone... Uh, the show just no longer made any sense. And so it was canceled. Yeah, Just what enough glue to hold it all together.
1: Wow. That's tragic, really.
0: But almost thanks to its short run, it now lives as a cult classic in the hearts and minds of 90s kids everywhere, making its most notorious bit of nightmare fuel feel much more like a fever dream than something we actually saw on television. Mm-hmm. The plunger-wielding emotional sadist, Zeke the Plumber.
1: It feels larger than life, like you're probably going to get into because it kind of came a little left field. We weren't expecting it, and then especially when it was first airing, you really only saw it that one time. Right. So it was kind of a, did that really happen?
0: The meat of this episode begins when Dr. Khan tells campers over the loudspeaker. This is Dr. Khan. Tonight's activities will be a terrifying ghost story about Camp Bonawana history, or bingo in the rec center. First prize is a box of licorice. <laughs> First <laughs> prize is a too. box of licorice.
1: I love
0: it. And Dr. Khan's voice is heard over the loudspeaker for the run of the show. And it, it serves as both humor and exposition when necessary. But the reason we never meet Dr. Khan is because he's voiced by Steve Slavkin.
1: Perfect.
0: Steve said there was really no genius or purpose behind Dr. Khan's presence other than needing to add time to episodes that were a little bit too short.
1: That is the opposite problem that most people have in TV. Can you imagine DJ McHale hearing that somebody had that problem?
0: (laughs) I know, he'd be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You didn't have
1: to cut 45 minutes off of your (laughs) 20-minute
0: episode? And that night, everyone gathers around the candlelight as Budnick tells them the story of Zeke the plumber. A long time ago, there was a guy named Zeke, He used to clean out the toilets here at camp, but the smell didn't bother him because, see, Zeke didn't have a nose.
1: Perhaps the scariest thing about him.
0: (laughs) Perhaps. When he was in the army, he got his nose bit off by a parrot in the Philippines. (laughs) One day, Zeke's outside digging a hole, like you do, and he hits a pipe, a gas pipe. Because he couldn't smell the leaking gas, He makes a big mistake and lights a match, like you do.
1: Right. Boom!
0: Zeke was a human party popper. (laughs) And besides part of his upper lip, for some reason, all they ever found of Zeke was a toilet plunger. And this ain't your dad's plunger, kids, Mm -mm. because your dad's plunger probably doesn't have a curse on it.
1: I hope not. (laughs) You never know.
0: And they say old Zeke the Plumber's ghost still walks around Camp Banawana wearing a big ugly mask to cover his scorched face, looking for his plunger. And anyone who touches it will be haunted by Zeke in their dreams.
1: As we will soon see. As we will. This image, the visual of Zeke, who Zeke is on screen. This really helped me to to break it down in the story and to realize because Mm -hmm. for years I've just seen that image and I haven't fully processed what's happening in the image. So, prior to his death, his nose was bitten off by a parrot. Yeah. So, he was injured. No more nose. So, he was
0: scary looking already.
1: He was already scary. And then he got scorched mm-hmm. exploded like a party popper. Yep. So the reason that he wears a mask in addition to that issue with his nose yep. is because his face is scorched. So I was just very confused. <laughs> he looks a lot like the train conductor from The Haunted Train. Yeah. From Hay Arnold. <laughs> <Hey> Arnold. <laughs> and I just never quite yeah. understood the layers to the story. So hearing it again really, you know, gave me some perspective on that. that be why. Because I thought <laughs> just in my adult perspective looking at the photos, I was like, why did they... Why did his mask have to be like that? Yeah. Why does it look like that? (laughs) Yeah, which I'm sure that's what kids were thinking too.
0: And when Budnick revealed the plunger during his storytelling, it was touched by both Telly and Michael, Mm -hmm. who are now cursed to be haunted by the ghost of Zeke the plumber in their dreams. But before we get to those, I want to talk about the protective rituals in the girls' bunk. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yes, we I thought have it was to. So fun, so good. It was
0: just such a fun scene.
1: So so good.
0: So thanks to Budnick, it's a spooky night in the girls' bunk. Dina is straight up practicing a magic by forming a protective barrier <laughs> around her bed using a tube of toothpaste.
1: You use what you can.
0: While Zizi is trying to comfort Telly. I
1: mean, think about it logically. Why would Zeke the plumber go around stalking kids? He got his nose bit off and he's dead.
0: How's that? We'll come back to that later, but I think that's really funny.
1: I love when shows are just like, I don't know, just because it is. Harold does that a lot too. What do you want from me? And you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. At least they acknowledged it.
0: But about the protective layer of fluoride toothpaste. Oftentimes, a magical barrier like this is made with a line of salt, Mm -hmm. which we see depicted in shows like Supernatural and movies like Hocus Pocus.
1: All the time, yep.
0: There's a vast history there that we will look deeper into one day, perhaps sooner than later, but the general idea of salt being protective comes from its qualities of disinfection, purification, and preservation. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you use what you have, and Dina doesn't have salt. She has toothpaste.
2: What are you doing? Oh, well, I read that there's something
1: in toothpaste that keeps ghosts away. How? Well, I'm not sure, but it's something four out of five doctors recommend. Which doctors? Exactly. Which doctors from the islands of Lumbago? Which doctor?
0: Which doctors.
1: Really great. Really funny.
0: And Lumbago is um, a medical term for lower back pain.
1: Got issues with mine.
0: But she she learned all about this. In a book called A Girl's Guide girl's to Ghouls. Girl's Guide to
1: Ghouls. I want that book. If it existed in the 90s, oh, man. I would have 100% had a copy. If
0: this was a show now, you'd be able to buy that as like a journal, like a notebook or something
1: yeah. for sure. Yep, it'd be on the front.
0: Listeners, you guys are crafty. Yeah. Kaylin wants A Girl's Guide to Ghouls.
1: <laughs> we need it. Not just me. All the girls All the it. girls.
0: We'll put it in our merch store whenever we have one. Perfect. But this book also says if you don't want to be haunted at night before you go to bed spin around once spit in your hand and slap yourself in the forehead (laughs)
1: because yeah then it becomes obvious that the whole thing is kind of preying on the you know reader essentially yeah right (laughs) this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard i'm going to sleep fine you believe what you want and i'll believe what i want but i'm gonna go to sleep much better knowing i've got full fluoride protection now good night
0: i thought this was such a sitcom like a multi-cam sitcom sequence, like.
1: Agreed. Like
0: Full House or Boy Meets World yes. or something, like you can yep. totally hear the laugh track almost.
1: I I have that in my notes. That's so funny that you bring that up. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I feel like I, my mind is trying to insert the laugh track. Yeah. Because I'm so conditioned so for so it. To it. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about what this entire episode would have been like on Nickelodeon as a modern Nickelodeon show or like no, a modern terrible. Disney Channel show. And then I was like, that would drive me nuts. I would hate it. And
0: then we have the return of the joke a little bit later. What was that? Maybe it's Zeke. When they hear a scary sound prompting the other girls to draw a line of toothpaste around their beds, spin around, uh, <laughs> spit in their hands and slap and them themselves in the Smack their forehead. forehead. It's really funny.
1: Because, listener, I'm sure you can agree, we all turn into believers just a little bit. When the night gets real dark Mm -hmm. or even pretty dark. I'm
2: not doing this because I think there's ghosts. Oh oh, no, there's uh, absolutely no such thing as ghosts!
0: But the best part of all this to me is in a world where salt repels spirits, toothpaste might actually work. Because what type of toothpaste does Dina have? Fluoride toothpaste. What's the active ingredient in fluoride toothpaste? Sodium fluoride. A basic salt compound.
1: It's really not as far off as you might think, I guess.
0: Nope. It's a pretty smart gimmick, actually. Good job, Steve Slavkin. Good thing I
1: always have a tube of toothpaste around. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So now these two nightmares. They're both very different, but they have one thing in common. Zeke is there to expose the thing they're most afraid of. Michael is awoken by a strange whirring suction sound that I assume is supposed to be the ethereal sound of an undead custodian plunging a toilet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because there Zeke is, plunging a toilet in the middle of the dark room. Who are you? Friends, call me Zeke. Zeke, the plumber?
1: The fact that the toilet appeared in the middle of the room, I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> I almost wrote a disembodied toilet. And I was like, well, <laughs> doesn't it not work? But I don't know. So while there is a level of humor to this, he's just plunging a toilet. Right. It's also just so damn creepy. It's
1: so, it's so like classic Nickelodeon mm-hmm. because you do have that like kind of gross out humor. Right. Just embedded into it.
0: Toilet humor. The toilet humor. As young Kalen would.
1: Baby Kalen was not a fan. I don't like toilet humor. She was above that. (laughs) I'm a classy lady.
0: (laughs) Zeke is dressed like anyone's grandpa, with his overalls and his flannel shirt. Absolutely. But he's talking to us from the uncanny valley itself, wearing his rubbery old man face mask with a bandage covering his bloody nub where his nose used to be, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and large black holes where the eyes should be. As Megan Navarro puts it, for a certain age group, Zeke the Plumber remains one of the most traumatic figures from childhood.
1: Our listeners can attest.
0: Because Zeke represents fear itself, he pulls a stuffed animal from the toilet bowl, a dripping. Mm. Soaking wet stuffed animal.
2: Hey, this looks familiar.
0: Implying that this toy, Harry the Hippo, is what clogged... The toilet. Mm -hmm. The toilet, of course, serving as the symbolic apparatus through which Michael has attempted to conceal or forget or flush away the anxiety he feels about having mistakenly brought a stuffed animal with him to camp. Right. He didn't know he was going to make friends with Budnick (laughs) when he brought that little bit of comfort from home.
1: No one knows Mm -mm. there's going to be a Budnick.
0: And this also prompts Michael to reveal that sometimes he still sucks his thumb. But he doesn't want anyone to know about these things, so Zeke whips out a megaphone and announces,
2: Attention everybody! Michael Stein sucks his thumb and he has a stuffed animal at camp. <laughs> you baby.
0: <laughs> and then we carry the symbolism one more literal step forward as Zeke takes the plunger to Michael's head to see what other secrets he can dislodge from Michael's mind. Startling him awake. Let's see what else you
2: have inside your head.
1: And that was the moment that I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That checks out. I get it now. It works for really me cool. though.
0: Yeah, I was like, this is actually a really cool horror Very movie villain. Cool
1: concept, yeah.
0: Like you could they could make a feature based off of this now.
1: Because it wasn't just the scary visual. Right. And and Zeke even says it, that he's going inside his head. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: That's where you keep all the things you don't want anybody to know about. Right. Combining,
1: like, the scary visual with plunging out all of your darkest secrets for the world to see. All the shit.
0: (laughs) Such a cool premise. It's such a cool idea.
1: I would venture to even say that the premise is more haunting than the visual. Oh, yeah. Far more. Uh Mm Uh-huh. As haunting as the visual was.
0: And then we have Telestream. The next day at breakfast, we learned that Telly didn't get much sleep. And at first, this made me think of your research from The Shadow of Courage about how sleep deprivation can actually lead to much more like intense yes. uh, hallucinations while sleep in a waking state. Sleep is
1: good. Not sleeping is very, very bad. Yeah. Just in a nutshell for our brains, our hormones, everything.
0: If she had just gotten sleep the night before, she wouldn't. she'd be missing this nightmare right now. Most likely. Nonetheless, she does actually fall asleep. And so then it made me think about lucid dreaming and astral projection, because a lot of lucid dreaming practitioners say that it helps if you take a nap shortly after waking up in the morning, hmm. like beta brain waves and such. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But even when like not trying to lucid dream, I will say that some of my most intense and elaborate dreams have occurred in that like early morning state where I've woken up, but then I've fallen back asleep. Mm -hmm. Then I have really intense and vivid dreams
1: I have not confirmed this with any sources, but I was always told that all of your dreaming That you remember throughout the night is taking place in that like hour window right before you wake up
0: What about all the dreams you have when you wake up in the middle of the night?
1: I don't know But you're about to wake up your body is physically waking waking up So it's like before your body wakes. I don't know But before your body wakes up is when all the dream stuff happens in your brain. And so I always pictured it as like it's happening within a very short amount of time compared to how long it feels like you're dreaming.
0: Huh. Is that like, do your nightmares wake you up because they're scary or because they were gonna wake you up anyway because you were about to wake up.
1: I always took it as because they were you were your body was gonna wake up anyway. Oh huh. physically in your body you were preparing to wake up. So your brain put together a whole bunch of stuff in your head about what it feels like to be awake or that's the same thing with like um sleep paralysis huh I don't know I can't say that to be certain but I have been told that at some point in my life and it stuck with me so I'll just pass it along for all of you lovely listeners to then be misinformed too it sounds
0: like a guy at a party just trying to like (laughs) just trying to impress you I
1: don't listen to them what do you mean
0: (laughs) well all this may be what happens to Telly because this is when she encounters Zeke the plumber thanks to a good bit of subliminal assistance from Budnick whispering in her ear Zeke the plumber
2: Zeke, Zeke the plumber. Zeke the plumber. Who are you? I'm Zeke the plumber. I'm a custodian who grants you wishes.
0: Well, Telly's greatest wish is to play professional ball. So he takes the plunger to her face and grants her wish in a very labyrinth, but also very 90s example of be careful what you wish for.
1: Very, very 90s example.
0: Transporting her... Not to any kind of ball court or ball field, but to a ball room with an overhanging crystal ball. The
1: worst nightmare. Ah, <laughs> I have to go to a ball. a ball. There's a ball. So let's have a ball. And here we have the classic 90s internalized misogyny. <laughs> yeah, we do. There was a character in every sitcom, practically, that espoused exactly this belief.
0: I think every single one, yeah.
1: And we've seen this time and time again, even in things that we've talked about, a rampant idea that being girly or she calls it a priss, right, is somehow bad or lesser than. And it's always presented in this really condescending way Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. time. Really, I can't think of a time when it was promoted as like. Fun or good? Honestly, I can only maybe it was because I identified with the tomboy.
0: Um, (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) I really don't think it did. It was kind of always a negative light painted on like the rich, but it's usually because they're like rich and we're like rich girls and men in suits are bad.
1: There's that, but it's the it's still the like debutante thing, which that's... yeah. I have different feelings about that, I guess. Right. But the whole girly, dancing, ballet, pink idea, yeah, it was always condescended. And I, as a child, bought into this hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, <laughs> and stinker. Uh, and honestly, this would have been my worst nightmare back then, too. I would have been exactly like Telly. Mm-hmm. But not just because of preference. I think preference plays a role, and it's okay not to like... Either side of things, girly things, Tom, whatever. Right. It's okay, but beyond just the media and boys that I knew constantly telling us that femininity was like weaker or lesser than, the '90s and early 2000s also bred this special kind of like I'm going to call it a devoted tomboy.
0: <laughs> okay. Which
1: is what I was. I like because it because we were kind of yeah we were dedicated. It's a new archetype. It is. And it. Well, it's not new, man. It's 30 years old. The devoted we, tomboy. We're dedicated to like unknowingly upholding all of these like patriarchal ideas, um, really as many as possible. Yeah. And we were like the champions of these ideas, maybe even more so than the men and boys.
0: I don't know, because- When you looked at like Mary-Kate and Ashley, like Mary-Kate was more of the tomboy. And then Ashley was more of the girly girl. She
1: wore blue and Ashley wore pink. I I
0: remember being like, I like Mary-Kate because she's not so girly.
1: Hey, exactly. And that's what the guys mm -hmm, in my life mm -hmm. were telling me too. They were saying it's way cooler to, you know, be a tomboy, not wear makeup, play sports, whatever. So I bought into that. Exactly for those reasons, not even realizing
0: it. It's all the latent just homoeroticness of the guys. (laughs) Just we need our girls to be more like boys.
1: (laughs) I feel like there are like a billion more (laughs) channels we could Uh, we could go into on this. But it was presented as a good thing, I guess, for us tomboys at the time. It was plastered across all of our like gap and limited to clothing, saying that girls are tough and girls can play sports. And I think this was well-intended for the most part. Like, I understand what they were trying to do. They were reminding girls of the molds that we had begun to break out of in this era, you know, kind of breaking down those walls. Mm -hmm. But for myself and clearly some other girls like Telly, um, it had unintended consequences. I feel like in its attempt to break those barriers, it almost kind of darkened that dividing line you're either a tomboy or a girly girl Mm -hmm. it it made that distinction very clear and it i felt a really intense pressure to pick a side basically which i don't know why it was this way but this is just kind of how i felt like it was presented you had to either sign up to be a tomboy and that also meant shitting on everything girly (laughs) the way the boys did like that was part of the the gag right that was sure. part of the gimmick that was part of the character that you were adopting yeah yeah and meanwhile ballroom dancing is basically a sport Within itself,
0: yeah, it totally is. <laughs> it's
1: more athletic than anything I can do. Oh. To be fair, the
0: number of arguments we had in school, like, is cheerleading a sport? Is or ge- gymnastics sports? It's so dumb. It's like just because yes. they're
1: feminine or they have feminine qualities or more females participate in yeah. them, does not mean that they're not just as athletic.
0: This was my whole world growing up doing sports and stuff. Yeah, exactly. This was, this was all the the dynamics you're talking about.
1: And it, I'm very familiar. It's important to remember that it isn't good to be masculine or bad to be feminine. Right. And I think that might be the mark that some of this messaging missed at Mm -hmm, the time. mm -hmm. Um, Well-rounded people in societies integrate and interplay masculinity and femininity. Right. Like everybody has both. I certainly do. Um, Whether or not you want to hear that or think about it, it's it's a fact. It's true. Mm -hmm. And this isn't to say that we're the first generation with Tomboys, obviously far from it, but I think that this tomboy movement in the 90s and early 2000s really took prominence in the media. And while I do love that underlying idea that you don't have to conform or like perform your gender in the classical way, which is yeah. kind of what they were trying to say. Be feminine. And honestly, at the time I was glad to hear it because it aligned with my preferences. I liked the color blue, I liked sports, I liked tech stuff. Right. Um, right. Things that were branded uh, as being for boys.
0: Right. There's the problem.
1: So it opened a window for me to say, okay, yeah, I'm a girl, but I like all this boy stuff. Mm -hmm. Where in reality, I think a better message and maybe one that we're getting to now, thankfully, is that colors and toys and hobbies and interests don't have gender.
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: They just don't, actually. (laughs) And you can have preferences without picking a side. And especially... Even if you do feel compelled to pick a side, especially without condescending or writing off your own or another gender entirely. Right. The way that it's done so often here. You can
0: be yourself without putting somebody else down for what they like or believe in.
1: Right. It. There's just no Let need people for it. like things. Let people like things. That's one of things our other messages, like main <laughs> messaging from this podcast yeah. I would like people to hear is that let people like things. That's right. You don't have to police what people like or think that they should or shouldn't you know yeah
0: totally totally and not
1: only that it was almost still teaching girls to truly be part of this club not only did you need to like basically shit on the other side but you needed to abandon your own femininity altogether Mm -hmm. it was telling you like okay you don't have to perform girlhood in this like fluffy frilly way yeah which great okay not everybody wants to but you still did need to conform and put yourself into one of the two boxes, yeah. That part was still weirdly had necessary to be one or the other, and it was very, yeah, stuck in that binary way of thinking, yeah. and while while we're on the subject, while I'm on my soapbox, another interesting side effect of this, and please, please tell me if you can relate to this listener, if you're a contemporary of, you know, the tomboy movement, is that as I started to like age and get older, I felt almost unable to grow or like shift my preferences because I had built an entire identity playing into I hate pink girly stuff. Mm-hmm. That was my identity as a person somehow. Yeah. And it was so much my personal brand that I felt like a hypocrite when I wanted to start wearing makeup eventually or like have my hair done at the sleepover.
0: (laughs) It's like a change in identity. Yeah, you're like,
1: yeah, I couldn't I couldn't (laughs) ask for those things. I couldn't show interest in those things. And that honestly, that led to me feeling like I got a really late start at that kind of stuff later on, which was its own kind of embarrassment of like, well, I haven't been doing this since I was five, like everybody else. So I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: You're the girl who like puts on her own makeup and like smears the lipstick all over. Like you see a little girl doing that usually, but you're doing it like 17. I was,
1: I'm (laughs) not even kidding. I was, I was so delayed in that aspect just because I was then, I was not only embarrassed to pursue it.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. And
1: then I was embarrassed because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So it was just a double-edged sword. Oh, I
0: get that. I have a lot of things within the quote-unquote masculine world, things that I felt like I should know how to do Right. when I became an adult, I didn't know how to do. It's two
1: sides of the same coin. It
0: gets harder and harder to ask those questions of like, hey, how do you do that?
1: Right, because you're supposed to already know. You
0: risk someone going, you don't know how to do this. right. What's wrong with you?
1: It's just such a weird source of shame. It is. Meanwhile, it's just all a performance.
0: Shame and embarrassment.
1: Yeah. And then because I was embarrassed, I often felt the need to kind of lean into that performance even more, which I feel like is kind of what Telly does sometimes. Yeah. I felt like I needed to lean into this as if the tenets of tomboy culture were part of my like moral and ethical fiber.
0: (laughs) Your code. You know, I
1: took it as I took it so personally (laughs) Um, and it kind of makes me wonder where characters like Telly would be today. Like, I'm sure she would have been a professional athlete and basketball champion and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I like to think she would probably also be like killing it on Dancing with the Stars.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know.
1: So I had a lot of thoughts. As soon as the scene popped up, I was like, <laughs> I
0: figured you, you would.
1: This stuff is for sissy little girls who got nothing better to do with their lives.
2: But you are a sissy little girl, aren't you?
1: No. It just makes me want to grab her and be like, "You don't have to give her this performance, Telly. Like, <laughs> you you don't have to do this. Yeah, who are you trying you don't to have convince? To condescend their hop? Yeah, who are you trying to convince? What are you trying to prove?
0: Yourself, because it's your dream.
1: Right. Right. Anyway. Yeah, that's another. It's
0: another layer to facet of all
1: this is that it's all happening in her head, but
0: she is Zeke the plumber.
1: <laughs> we all are Zeke the plumber. We are
0: all Zeke the plumber. Oh
1: my god. And that's kind of the thing, like. <laughs> Everybody feels like these things are such a bigger deal than they are when you're a kid. You feel mm-hmm. like this is everything. And you can feel Telly doing that. You see it in things like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right. These ideals are such a bigger deal than they actually are. It's not actually that deep. And you can just like what you like. <laughs> yeah. And I just wish... At the time, I could tell baby Kaylin that. Right. And I wish I could tell all the girls that, that I was, and all the boys that, for that matter, the guys that I was agreeing with and the girls that I was treating unfairly yeah. at the time.
0: So she tries to leave, but here we see the same bit of fairy lore that we've now encountered multiple times. Like I mentioned Labyrinth. You know, you make some wish or you eat of some forbidden fruit mm-hmm. or make some gesture of submission to the magical entity. And you are transported to a type of dance or a ball, typically a masquerade ball. But in this case, it has much more of a debutante ball kind of vibe.
1: Right. Yes, for sure. But
0: Zeke informs her that she's trapped there for quite a long while.
1: For the rest of your life.
2: So relax. Enjoy the music. And let's die.
0: In a bit of levity, Zeke begins waltzing with his plunger around (laughs) the ballroom as Telly chants her own version of There's No Place Like Home.
1: Yes. I gotta
0: get out of this ball.
1: I, this is the one thing I did remember. So like I said, I don't remember watching this episode, but the Mm -hmm. visual of Zeke dancing with his plunger, I 100% Oh, it like came back to the surface, So either, maybe that was like in a promo or something later on. Yeah, it does
0: does feel familiar, like something they would use, yeah.
1: That was the only scene that rang a bell for me. Because
0: it's one of the most like, they always use the most absurd visuals from things for their promos.
1: Exactly. To so, yeah. like show
0: you how exciting the, the network is. You yeah, know? you gotta
1: watch the episode. You gotta watch this ball. Don't miss it. Oh nick. Nick nick, nick. nick nick nick. Nickelodeon. So hearing both of these dreams, both of these like we said, it's a great horror concept that these like private thoughts that you have are gonna somehow be exposed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that we all fear, especially in this age range, right? Right. Something <laughs> that I thought about as I was watching the episode. It's not like Budnick knew about their fears or embarrassments until they told him or admitted them to. Him. Yeah, they told. They were him were still but, happening in like, their head. They didn't have to do that. They acted one.
0: like he did this to them. Exactly. Like, like, Man, I can't wait to pay him back for this. Yeah, he and des- it's like,
1: And I mean, yes, he okay, do. he he, he, just told he like a scary told story. the story, but yeah, he doesn't know about he's that still happened in your head. They so revealed I don't know if to it was him just kind of a these
0: things. Yeah, the idea
1: right. of like reality is not quite as stable. As at that age, and you do feel like it's all sort of having a dream about everybody knowing about something. Suddenly, you do feel like everybody knows about that thing, or you're more self conscious well, about that thing. It's for how sure.
0: it's how we always project our own insecurities onto other people, and we assume that they know what we're thinking.
1: Hundred percent.
0: I think that's what it comes. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I
1: think. And I think that's really like it's a very mature, like very elevated concept for the episode to attempt, you know? Right, yeah. So I do really like that.
0: Even like the fluoride toothpaste humor, only adults yeah. would get that. Kids don't yeah, get that. Yeah, really
1: good. But related to this age range, again, I feel like it's also really smart to comment on how fear and embarrassment can be synonymous Especially at that age, oh yeah, in middle school or as a preteen, a lot of what
0: I talk to my therapist about is <laughs> <laughs> afraid of being embarrassed in public.
1: And but I think a lot of us, have, I mean, the classic dream is what, like you know, going to school in, in your, your underwear.
0: Room mine was like, going to school in, in my glasses and forgetting my contacts.
1: I always had dr- y'all and I mean this I'm not even going to say it's TMI because we really need to normalize these conversations. Oh, let's hear it. I'm but I always had dreams about getting my period in class or something.
0: You too? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh I'd always dreamed about like not having something when I needed it or having to like ask somebody like the embarrassment of that at the time, which this is exactly why I'm talking about it to
0: mm, however mm-hmm. many
1: thousands of people are gonna hear me say it, like we need to normalize those things so well, that yeah. other kids don't have those fears. But anyway
0: girls feared getting their periods and guys feared getting boners. Yeah. <laughs> right in front of class. Yeah. It happens. It's
1: it's that whole the the embarrassment factor of that. Yeah. Um is so deeply tied to our fear. And as we kind of move forward in the episode talking about summer camp and horror, I really wanna keep exploring that tie because i think the hormonal like coming of age puberty tie-in to all of it Mm -hmm. comes up again and again and again and a lot of that has to do with us just being embarrassed of like being human in society
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) because none of us for some reason think other people are dealing with it but guess what listener right you're not alone you're not alone guys you're not alone in this either
0: that's like such a strong thread through all these 90s shows, especially for like teenagers, these these like teenage sitcoms. Oh, yeah. It's all about who's going to get embarrassed next and by what. Yep. You're on to something there. Because
1: there are things that I'm afraid of that have nothing to do with being embarrassed. Sure. But it is interesting how much of it is tied together. Oh, Eat that man. popsicle. Oh, Eat it. Get teeth. that brain freeze.
0: Oh, yeah. We just took a break, and I just went and got me a freeze pop. He
1: was making me really jealous until he said that he thinks the flavor is <laughs> grapefruit. I was like, it's pink flavored.
0: <laughs> and then I was like, well, actually, it might be grapefruit. I Tell
1: me, listener, if you ever had a freeze, not like a Popsicle, I guess, like the one that you hold with a Popsicle stick, mm-hmm. but a freeze pop. In the
0: sleeves of Have plastic. you ever
1: had one that's grapefruit? Because I don't think I have. Mm,
0: and then you can drink the juices at the bottom?
1: Mm-hmm. But mm. I only the only good one to do that with was the blue
0: one. Yeah, I had a blue one earlier. It was really good. I like the blue one and the green one, and I thought I liked the pink ones. But Green
1: is fine.
0: I don't think that I do. (laughs) I also haven't had these since I was very young. This is my first summer back to the freeze pops, guys.
1: Wow, I haven't had a freeze pop. Yeah, I can't even tell you the last time.
0: So the premise for Zeke is clearly based on Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger. Mm -hmm. And when Budnick mentions Zeke haunting their dreams, I was already thinking this, but then ZZ says,
2: What is this guy, the Freddy Krueger of custodians?
0: Boom. Yes, ZZ, quite so. There's always been a lot of debate about what sort of entity Freddy Krueger actually is, and it changes over the franchise. But for anyone who has largely steered clear of the slasher horror genre, the facts as we have them from the original few Nightmare on Elm Street films, is that Freddy is a dream demon and can appear in your nightmares with a will of his own. And if he kills you in your dream, you die in real life. Yeah. Specifically, he's the malevolent spirit of a child murderer who himself was murdered by the parents of his victims when he got off on a technicality.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So just using Freddy's dream-haunting characteristics as inspiration for Zeke is one thing, but outright naming Freddy Krueger feels like something else entirely. Because it would immediately conjure images of this frightening horror movie villain that can kill you in your sleep. Yes, that's pretty dark. And this is an afternoon. This is afternoon show. <laughs> programming on Nickelodeon. Well,
1: the thing is, Close. too, to consider, would kids watching this have necessarily seen Nightmare on Elm Street? There's no guarantee. I was,
0: I was just about to say, kids at that age were totally familiar with Freddy Krueger. A hundred percent.
1: Okay, back up. Remember how I was five? <laughs>
0: I was I watched, familiar.
1: I watched Nightmare on Elm Street when I was entirely too young to watch it. I was probably too. like 10.
0: I was I was much younger than I was younger than 10. Wow. No, I watched it way too young. I
1: probably I watched it on TV, so who knows what version.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it was it was a censored version for sure, but they still knew who he was. They knew the name Freddy Krueger,
1: I think. They would have, yeah. Cuz also I, th- I don't disagree.
0: Mid 90s.
1: I was just playing Devil's Advocate.
0: Sure. I mean
1: Freddy's Advocate. Freddy's Advocate. I don't know.
0: I'm not an advocate for Freddy. Me neither. Go off that guy. I don't remember a time when us kids didn't know who Freddy was. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where if you were at a sleepover and somebody said the name Freddy Krueger, everybody was instantly on edge and primed for some spooky walk around the neighborhood or, you know, to watch whatever Mm -hmm. scary movie their parents let us rent for the weekend.
1: If I'm being honest, when I was that age especially, I got Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers- All kinds of confused in my head. I could not keep straight which villain went to which franchise. Only because they're all so similar. Could not do it. Because they're all similar. They all came about in a similar time frame. Also, most of them prior to my birth. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: by the time I was kind of coming to know horror as a genre or especially slasher films, I couldn't keep it straight.
2: Right, right.
1: I wonder if anybody else has that experience because everybody else references it just one off just, you know, I think Freddy was the one that I knew best because that I think was the one that haunted me the most because the dream thing yeah. definitely got
0: got me. It's it's weirdly like he was the most, he, he's kind of the most inappropriate for kids to be familiar with, but he's also the most like marketable Ex- and like, accessible, visually accessible for like kids right. to just know who Freddy Krueger is. I don't right. know why. The others feel more brutal, but when you compare them- He's, he's the most brutal.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Because you can't control like when he comes at
0: you. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm torn between thinking it's pretty dark that they would outright say Freddy Krueger on the show and thinking it's inevitable. Because if my relatively small experience with sleepovers tells me that in any given house on any given weekend night, the name Freddy Krueger can be whispered in the dark to instill fear to, <laughs> into a room full of children. Mm -hmm. then I can only imagine how often his name came up over the weeks and weeks of any given sleepaway camp throughout the 80s and 90s.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: And not just his name, but other names as well. And this brings me to some of my favorite research.
1: I can't wait.
0: Summer camps in the horror genre.
1: Guys, we've been talking about this for a couple days. We actually watched Friday the 13th together in preparation for this. Yeah, we did, last night. This felt like such a summertime... Mm-hmm. Conversation. I, I think it's so cool. We had
0: to fully indulge. Fully indulge. I'm gonna watch yeah, more. Yeah, we
1: couldn't talk about Zeke without talking about the other summertime scaries.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep I'm having me a summer of fear. Mm. I'm excited about Speaking it.
1: Speaking of which, Fear Street. Do you remember watching that like two years ago? Yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. uh, it was just was the perfect like callback to that, mm-hmm. and it came out like every two weeks. It was so good. Highly recommend that if you have not seen fear it, Fear Street. Listener, so if you're that a was, fan of this stuff,
0: that was our true, that was our peak summer of fear, our peak summer of horror. Like two years. Oh ago. yeah,
1: for this like decade.
0: Because we we both watched Fear Street, and then that same summer I watched American Horror Story 1984. Yeah, I think you watched it too.
1: I did. I had started it, and I got. Kind of disillusioned with it. Yeah. And yeah, you you recommended that I finish it, which I did.
0: Once it gets good, it tastes pretty good. Mm-hmm. But to understand how horror fits so perfectly into uh, the summer camp on the whole, I figured we could take a look at how summer camps got started and where they came from.
1: I can't wait. And kind of like,
0: <laughs> what makes a summer camp? Let
1: us know, listener. Did you go to summer camp? Did you go to any <laughs> kind of sleepaway camp? Let us know. I personally feel like my <laughs> summer camp experience, it, mine was church camp. I'll just be real with you guys right up front. Yeah, um, and
0: any camp I did was also a church camp
1: too. Yeah, so I so. feel like I kind of got slighted on the whole like ghost stories at camp aspect, things like that. I love the idea of it. Parent Trap 1996 was one of my favorite films and is one of my favorite films. You should
0: have been a boy. You would have hung out in the boys' bunk where all they did was tell scary stories.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't do that. We did Bible studies and learned how to keep ourselves pure.
0: All we did was freak each other out and... Look up inappropriate videos on the internet. <laughs> yeah, church camp.
1: We, I mean, I, I had my fair share of summer camp fun. Don't get me wrong. We had uh, <laughs> shaving cream fights. We had, um, we caution taped the boys' cabin my senior year. That was that was pretty fun. Talk about a crime scene. Not inside, of course. You couldn't enter their cabin. No, but of course not. Elements. I, I performed in the talent show. Like we, I had, I had some good, you know, classic summer camp experiences, but, yeah. and I mean, I, I, I wish now that I had had that ghost story element because we were next to a lake Yeah. at Ooh. my camp. We were up in the woods. So oh, you had everything. Then. It would have been, it would have been perfect. Oh man. Tell us about summer camps.
0: Encyclopedia.com. Classic. Says summer camps for boys began in the
1: 1880s. Naturally, the boys got to do it first.
0: Of course. The American Camp Association says the first boys' camp was 1861, but another article I read said as early as the 1850s. Wow. So all I can say is sometime in the latter half of the 19th century. Mm I'm going to read some quotes from Encyclopedia.com. Summer camps, overnight camps attended by children without their parents, were first established in the 1880s in North America, fueled by Victorian convictions about nature's moral and physical benefits as well as newer concerns about degeneracy and failing birth rates. Okay. (laughs) In the 20th century, the summer camp idea became an international phenomenon, supported by organizations with varied social, political, religious, and pedagogical agendas. In short, summer camps have become an increasingly important means for socializing modern children. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The earliest camps were small, Private camps for older boys developed in response to growing concerns about the emasculating tendencies of what was called over-civilization.
1: Gotta get back to nature. This is reminding me of that season of You, the TV show.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Go and yell in the woods or something. Beat your chest. (laughs) Whatever.
0: Uh, Yeah. That primal need to feel like you're in control of nature.
1: We're all animals, not just men.
0: (laughs) Catering to the sons of elite families... Many of these camps were located in the woods of northern New England, far from the temptations of city life Mm
1: -hmm. and the
0: refinements of the, quote-unquote, feminized home. Wow. Camps for girls were established in the early 20th century to foster a new, more self-reliant generation of young women. And the uh, American Camp Association says the first camp to admit girls was Camp Airy in 1892, but by 1902. It was exclusively a girls camp.
1: We took over.
0: So they were like, boys are gross. (laughs) Girls are nice. We're a girls camp now. Thank you.
1: Pretty cool, actually. So one of my earliest exposures to the idea of summer camp was the original Parent Trap film. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, I was born in the 1990s, (laughs) but that film came out in 1961 and it was, you know, taking place at a girls camp, as was the remake in 1996. But one of the interesting aspects of it that I found was that in that film, there there was like a, a sister camp and a brother camp. You know, they had a right. – a, 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 what's the word I'm trying to say? Segregated? They were segregated into two separate camps, you know. And then they had a corresponding boys camp where they would do mm-hmm. dances and events with the other camp.
0: Oh, but I see. the camp oh. itself
1: took place <laughs> – Totally separate.
0: That sounds like it would have been like a if they did like a Miss Mrs. Mazel like prequel. Yeah.
1: Season. Yes, when it sounds she like went it could to be, girls' camp.
0: Yeah. Girls camp. For That'd sure. be a fun season. Just one season, one off.
1: That would be amazing.
0: Get someone to play her anyway.
1: Paladino, call us.
0: Hey, we have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have ideas. I will go ahead and say here, I tried to find when boys and girls camps became commonly like integrated.
1: Co-ed. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there's, there's no hard year. There's no hard thing, you know, because some places are, they're still separated. There's still mm-hmm. boys and girls camps, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, that, that still exists. My
0: best guess is it was sometime in the 60s, maybe the 70s,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, because- we need boys and girls to go to the same camp so that we can have our slasher genre. Right. We're not, we're not all to that yet, but...
1: But that's an important point to make. Friday the 13th, it's the counselors, not necessarily the campers that are the stars of the show.
0: So camps came in all different shapes and sizes, such as the early YMCA camps that were pseudo-militaristic. But generally speaking, they all served to not only socialize children, but to strengthen their bonds with both nature and their own spirituality. Yeah. And this eventually led to the creation of Boy Scout camps and Girl Scout camps. Mm-hmm. And it's also why there's usually a strong theme of embracing Native American motifs, aka cultural appropriation, right? and playing generally tasteless games like Indian and the White Man. Oh, wow. We've all seen uh, the Adams Family values, have we not?
1: Yeah, yes. Where
0: the Camp Chippewa camp counselors put on the whitewashed play of the historically inaccurate first Thanksgiving, which the quote-unquote savage Wednesday Adams practically burns to the ground.
1: Yeah, as she should.
0: And there's also a history of white campers dressing up in blackface for minstrel shows. So, yes. We do have the privately funded camps for privileged white elites and middle class whites to thank for perpetuating a great deal of racism in this country. Gross! By slipping in the poison with the sugar and teaching white children that white supremacy is just as natural as nature itself.
1: Disgusting! Hate it.
0: And I noticed this when we watched
1: so much. Can't. Even stand it. We oh watched Friday God. the
0: 13th last night. And one of the first things you see at the camp is the big totem pole. Yes. And then there's the scene where the guy's in the headdress dancing oh, around yep. pretending to be an and Indian. And the cop
1: calls him Tonto, mm-hmm. like we talked about in Phantom Cab.
0: That c- exactly, yes. That comes directly from using all these Native American motifs. At camp. To entertain white Ugh, people at camps.
1: That feels icky.
0: We harp on things like this, but I wanted to mostly point this out so that when you see it in all these things that reference, you know, camp culture and you see the Native American motifs, you'll know why. hmm mm, Man, to just go from like murdering them all to embracing their culture.
1: Right,
0: no. <laughs> just kind of no. makes me sick, so.
1: Can't do that. <laughs> and yet- They did.
0: For amusement purposes. Yikes. So no wonder uh, so many white teenagers get slaughtered in these movies.
1: (laughs) The circle of life.
0: (laughs) Another quote. Whether serving boys or girls, camps offered a range of activities. Survival skills, nature study, arts and crafts, calisthenics, swimming, and a range of other sports. The evening campfire was the setting for theatrical entertainments, songs, and storytelling. And as we know... It's around these campfires that many a ghost story is told. I looked for some like summer camp staples, like ghost stories that, were, that would have been told, scary stories.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: But I was surprised and also a little bit like comforted by finding that it's really just all the same urban legends that we all know and love and that we've talked about a good bit on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense.
0: So if you've ever wondered about the connection between summer camps and horror movies... Then look no further than Screencraft's article called Why Are There So Many Summer Camp Horror Movies by David <laughs> Young? <laughs> and the subtitle is Summer Camp is All About Canoes, Campfires, and Creepy Machete Wielding Maniacs. That's right. Now, since we're talking cinema history and the origins of the summer camp horror subgenre, It's important to note that the specific horror doesn't need to be slasher. No. Zeke the Plumber is not a psycho killer, just a malevolent spirit. Mm -hmm. So it can simply be a ghost story. And
1: often is, all the time, really. More and more now. In life, more so than on the screen, but yes.
0: However, the slasher film is where it all started. Inspired by the 1960s and 70s masked killer murder mysteries of the Italian film genre, known as giallo, American slasher horror films brought fear and trembling to the American summer camp with a slew of B-movies from the early 1980s. It's like a movie. It's a (laughs) B-movie show. which of us was
1: going to quote it first. I wish it had been you. I'm glad it was you.
0: It all started in 1980 with the release of the very first summer camp horror film, Friday the 13th, which is still considered the best of them all. I get why. Me too. 1981 gave us two films, Madman... Three guesses what that one's about.
1: I bet it's about a madman.
0: You might be right. And The Burning, which was based on the Cropsey urban legend from New York.
1: Oh, there's a great documentary about that. It is so good. I highly recommend looking that up.
0: 1983 gave us Sleepaway Camp, which is considered the second best uh, after Friday the 13th. And I think I'm going to watch that one tonight when we're done. Sounds good to me. This list goes on and on for the last 40 years until recent revivals like you were talking about with... Um, Fear Street Part Two. Yes, and um, we have American Horror Story nineteen eighty four, and there's very recently They Them, which I haven't seen yet, but I heard. I haven't is seen pretty that good. either,
1: but I've heard good things too.
0: And also, we've read that there was no like true, true inspiration for Friday the Thirteenth.
1: Yeah, we looked it um, up.
0: Nothing like in real life that they pulled from. Uh, you found that?
1: I was surprised, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that there wasn't. I mean, anything, it's it's good. Or the the creators at least have said. There was not a real-life inspiration.
0: That's the party line. Yeah. But I'd venture to say that it is just the same classic urban legends. And I think that's where they were coming from. Like, a summer camp killer sounds like an urban legend to me. It does. It feels like a ghost story, but many classic urban legends do have that, like, masked killer, like, Mm -hmm. trope.
1: And honestly, it all kind of... It's itself. It's an Ouroboros kind of in a circle, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. what would be scarier to tell at camp than a story about a killer at camp? (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: 15 years ago, you know, a bunch of campers were murdered here.
1: Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised, like, even if it's obviously not a real life story and thank God, but if it is a real life ghost story that somebody heard when they were a kid at camp.
0: You know what for I mean? all we know, they just went to camp and they heard, that was a story they heard, and he just said, I'm making a movie about it.
1: It's hard for us to say that, just being the age that we are, because by the time we were at camp, the slasher genre had almost come and gone, not that it's ever really gone.
0: Yeah, when we were kids, they were just talking about the movies that were made That were
1: already about made these things. prior to the movies. We were talking though. about
0: fiction. Well, right. you know. We were were
1: talking about Hollywood fiction, but prior to those movies being made, it just makes me wonder if those kids that made those movies grew up hearing
0: these urban legends
1: stories like
0: that, stories like that. Yeah. So why is the summer camp such a perfect setting for horror? You know, what makes a summer camp so vulnerable to this kind of thing?
1: I had so many thoughts on this, especially while we were watching um, Friday the 13th. I know I'm not saying anything super profound here. But putting all of this together in a big stew, Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense why slashers and horror films gravitated toward a summer camp setting.
0: And for starters, it's because it's full of teenagers. Usually.
1: It's the first time that many people are getting a taste of independence. There's the homesickness, but there's also this lingering and really all-encompassing feeling of uncertainty and unknown. You're right. And the unknown is where a lot of our deepest fears and insecurities live. Because we don't know how to predict the outcome,
0: and of course, like these camps are usually run by teenagers <laughs> who are like slightly older than the campers, right? Or you know, young adults or whatever. But no real adult supervision, no parents, obviously. How many times do we talk about the latchkey generation and how most of the shows in the movies we talk about wouldn't even be possible if there were a bunch of adults around? Nope. like the summer camp is almost the epitome yep. of that scenario.
1: It's that scenario in life.
0: Quintessential example. Of teenage, you know, freedom and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His one of one of the quotes is horror often relies on people to make uninformed or rash decisions.
1: <laughs> you don't say. And
0: no population is more prone to uninformed and rash decisions than teenagers.
1: Truth. Sorry, teens. Uh
0: he blames this on like hormones, bad parenting. I think the, the point he's making is that teens are typically smart enough and old enough to think they know what to do in tough situations, but they don't have enough life experience yet to truly know what to do. For sure. So they're sort of forced to be adults and grow up really quickly, or you're going to die. Very high stakes stuff. But I would also throw in the teenage desire for independence and the need to prove oneself. Definitely. Couple all this with feelings of invincibility, and you've got a second point. That teenagers take risks that older or younger people might not take. And then simply group dynamics. I can't tell you how many times I've heard some adults say, the more boys in the group, the fewer brains they have.
1: I couldn't agree more. I was always <laughs> I mean, so true. frustrated. It's totally true. Because my individual guy like guys that I knew were so different compared to the group of guys mm-hmm. as an entity. And I am singling out <laughs> guys. Girls are guilty of it too. Yeah. But you know, it, it it's not about gender necessarily, but it's that idea that in a group, it's the group think it's, it's the, yeah. you know, we're going to go with whatever this idea is, even if it's bad, everything changes. Um, and nobody wants to be the person that speaks out against that or, or steps a toe out of line or stands out mm-hmm. when the whole, you know, goal as a teenager usually is to fit in.
0: Yeah. Cause he, he says like when teenagers get together in groups, like basically you just have a lot of drama and nonsense <laughs> clicks. You know, alpha males and whatever, and then people are people are forced out of the popularity contest, like you were saying, and that can either make them vulnerable or make them a hero Mm -hmm. in this like slasher, you know, film genre. To
1: be a a teenager at camp, you feel like, you know, the world's at your fingertips almost. Yeah, and that can be really bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It turns out
0: that independence. And like when it comes to slasher films, it isn't just romantic or sexual relationships that can get punished. It can be any kind of relationship. Like As soon as you form a strong attachment to some person, they're going down. And what is summer camp if not forming strong attachments?
1: That's the whole idea.
0: And then he talks about the summer camp setting. Namely, the obligatory large body of water yes. and the claustrophobia of the surrounding woods.
1: Right. Because who knows what's going on in there?
0: Yeah. He says, the truth is that the woods and adjacent mysterious bodies of water produce the fear of the unknown in many people. There we go. What's out there in those woods? <laughs> what's swimming right beneath my toes? What threat can I can I not see?
1: I got spooked, you know, many a night.
0: But- You know, more than that is the total isolation. Yes. The complete separation from civilization that makes these slasher film teens most vulnerable. For sure. The nearest town can be miles away and the phone lines can be cut. The power can be tampered with.
1: Now, you know, it's the lack of cell signal. Oh, Um, nowadays, Oftentimes camps, and I I can't really speak to just like a mainstream, you know, a bigger camp setting. But at church camp, you were never allowed to have any kind of cell phone. Mm -hmm. And of course, in the 80s and further back, it was just inherent that you were immersed in this experience. You had nothing and no way to contact Mm -hmm. the outside world, really.
0: Totally closed off. And last but not least is the longstanding camp tradition of campfire storytelling. Which almost always leads to a creepy tale. Mm
1: -hmm. It's really just a human tradition. You know, this is what we have done. Absolutely. Since the advent of fire and flame is gather around it and talk to each other.
0: And this is a perfect construct for horror because that tradition keeps a ghost story plot device from feeling forced or trite even when the legend turns out to be true.
1: You can suspend a lot more disbelief around a campfire.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is the exact summer camp horror trope that they were going for in episode two of Salute Your Shorts with Zeke the Plumber, a legend that proved to be true, if only in their nightmares.
1: So what I also have noticed about, you know, scenarios where we see ghost stories being told, it, it came up in Full House, Another 90s example where they told the legend of Cropsey at camp. They were telling these ghost stories on that show. And I think very oftentimes in life at camp, counselors who, like you said, were only a little bit older than the campers themselves were using ghost stories. As a way to keep the kids in line, oh. kind of scare them into submission, keep them in their cabins, keep them in their beds. Absolutely. You know, if they were scared, they were at least behaving. Yeah. And I think that, you know, over the years, counselors probably leveraged that. Um, Who knows? Maybe to the detriment of some kids' psyches.
0: I think that's true because, like, uh, that's how fairy tales came about. I mean, these were these cautionary tales to keep children from misbehaving. Right. These scary stories It's always served that purpose. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: And I think summer camp is like a prime example of that as well. Yeah. From what I could dig up, it seems like mainstream camps are kind of moving away from that tactic. Like often camps, especially depending on the age groups of the campers, Mm -hmm. won't allow ghost stories to be told at nighttime. They may have a ghost story during the day or, you know, some sort of storytelling moment during the day. But I think research and different uh, psychological advice has probably led them away from that. And instead, what I read is that, you know, counselors now are encouraged at a lot of mainstream camps to instead use the nighttime to talk about what they're excited about for the next day or things that are more upbeat so as to <laughs> not have scared. Because, of course, yeah, in yeah. back in the day, right? And it's, so, it's just so interesting to think about the differences in generations because now the parents are our age and they're sending kids to camps where they had all of these traumatic ghost stories told to them. And you know, it's the backbone of this podcast is what we talk about all the time. Hmm. I don't know necessarily that we were better equipped to deal with it, but times were just so different in the seventies, eighties, nineties that we were getting these, you know, unmitigated ghost stories Hmm. and all of these scary tales at camp. And there wasn't really anybody saying no or having any, kind of regard for what it was doing to kids. It was just something that you did at camp.
0: Kids will be kids. And I feel
1: like now a lot of parents are more involved Mm -hmm. than our parents were. They're coming back and saying, maybe that's not such a great idea. And I think that's turned the tide a little bit. That makes sense. You know, it's the same thing we say about all of these shows that we watch. I can't imagine my life without it. I love the idea of a campfire ghost story. Same. And I would be sad to have not had that idealized idea of it as a kid right the are you afraid of the dark i i i loved that concept i
0: wouldn't be who i am if i, I don't we, think i'd be who i, I am it. either i'd be a very different person but who knows yeah. what
1: kids today are going to turn out
0: to be with their furbies they're colorful <laughs> Furbies.
1: <laughs> With their brand new, non-threatening Furbies.
0: That all just makes me think about like the, all the book banning and the censorship of like what we're trying to not expose yeah. our kids to and like figuring it's out so, like what's good, so what's bad.
1: I don't know. Like that's, that's kind of why we're here talking about it. Like we don't know which way is better necessarily.
0: We don't. I think kids need scary stories. I think we need ghost stories. Maybe not for like... Uh, to control yeah. or to like...
1: I think the intent matters to a degree with something like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, they may not get scary stories in a camp setting, but they're getting it. Like, they're going to sleepovers. They're For sharing sure. spooky videos online. They're reading creepy yeah. pastas or whatever kids do.
1: Kids are going to be creepy. They're going to find ways to be creepy. It's a <laughs> part of be being cr- a kid. Kids are
0: creepy. <laughs> they're, they're just going to have different memories of the scary stuff from childhood. Right. It's just going to be through a different lens or it's going to it's going to look different to them when they get older it
1: does for us yeah
0: but it's all the same stuff over and over humans are scared of what humans are afraid of and that's it it's just the cyclical thing that it's always going to be there
1: absolutely the
0: same kind of killer just a different mask Ooh, nice thanks
1: and i think there are a lot of people our age that think about this stuff in terms of like really hating it and being traumatized by it and not wanting to look at it at all and then there are people like us that you know, we were afraid of it and we admit to that, but we also talk about how much we loved it yeah, and how much yeah. we do feel like it helped in our development and growth in different ways. So it's, yeah, they're just arguments to be made on all sides of this
0: spectrum. I guess it's technically healthy. It's technically good. Yeah, I think it's
1: technically <laughs> probably better, but it won't be what we had.
0: A little fear never hurt anybody. <laughs> so to wrap things up, I want to go back to what ZZ says to Telly in the girls. Podcast. I mean, it logically, why would Zeke the plumber go around stalking kids? He got his nose bit
1: off and he's dead. How's that?
0: This is commentary on the motivations of classic horror killers like Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees and Pennywise the Clown. Mm-hmm. Why do they do it?
1: They're sadistic for one.
0: Well, they are sadistic, but <laughs> but why? <laughs> because in seeking to inflict pain without a clear reason, let alone a justifiable one, these supernatural monsters and slasher movie killers represent one of the most common fears of the collective unconscious, the unpredictable chaos of the universe. Yeah. But here's the thing about Zeke the Plumber. All Bud Nick says is that Zeke walks the grounds looking for his plunger and gives campers nightmares. It's ZZ who takes that concept and immediately evolves it into Zeke's ghost-stalking kids. So, in this way, we already see the true effect of the ghost story taking root.
1: The telephone from one head to another, the story and the idea changes just ever so slightly.
0: Just how urban legends are born. Bingo. But because Budnick is a perfect bully, he fully intends to use this ghost story as a weapon against the other campers to frighten them so he can embarrass them and make fun of them. But if the ghost story is a weapon, it's only ammunition and the greatest threat is the fear itself. However, the reason fear is so powerful is because it uses a kid's most powerful asset against them, their imaginations. Fear plants its seed of terror, which takes root in the mind and grows as quickly as we let it, by feeding it and watering it until it becomes a very large and difficult monster to slay.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, the episode ends up taking a predictable '90s turn toward the like flipping the script on Budnick and right. and their collective effort to you know pay him back with a good scare, the
1: pranking,
0: which also naturally fails in the most '90s way possible. But I think it would have been really cool if they'd stuck with Zeke and the rest of the main cast. I know exploring what each of them was most afraid of, and how and why it affected their characters in certain ways. Ultimately revealing that we're all the same deep down, mm-hmm. fears, insecurities, traumas, etc., you're never really alone.
1: I think that it was like implied a little bit. Like, you know, you're not the only one that has a stuffed animal still, even though he ends up throwing it away, which I'm here to tell you don't throw away your stuffed animals, kids. You're gonna want those later. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You can't throw away your childhood. But I think I I to to make the point I was trying to make, I do think they were trying to do that. Like, you're not alone if you have a stuffed animal, even though they mm. kind of portrayed it in a bad light. <laughs> you're not alone if, you know, you don't want to be this girly girl, whatever. <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to say about that. You know, I think they did try to illuminate some of, uh, you know, embarrassments or fears that kids had. Yeah. But I agree. They could have punched that so much harder. They could have made it so much stronger. And it could have been a really, like, <laughs> beautiful, you know, portrayal of fear and shame and embarrassment as a kid and the collective experience of it. Exactly.
0: I tried to write that note a dozen times and I couldn't get it right. But you just said it (laughs) perfectly.
1: I don't know if I said it perfectly. I spent a lot of time thinking about it after the episode. I was like, this is, it's really smart.
0: And if you guys want proof of how, just how cool this could have been, look no further than Vecna from Stranger Things. Yes. He is this. He does, they do. You're
1: you're so right.
0: him. What we wish Zeke the Plumber had been back in 91. Yes. You know, he's a masterful compilation of all these same iconic horror villains that we're talking about.
1: On purpose. That's what they meant to do. With
0: an emphasis on nightmares and the feeding on the revelations of our most painful memories, right? Yes. It's on purpose. You're right. He's pulling- Nailed it. From these things very intentionally because they're- yeah, they're geniuses and blah, blah, blah. We'll never be that great. <laughs> Duffer Brothers. Ah, but then you look at Vecna and you're like, but this was a sitcom in the 90s. So it was it's a like...
1: <laughs> 90s sitcom and how well could they have really, you know, executed it?
0: I think they could have done it in a very full house kind of way, but they could have done it. Mm-hmm. They could have done it. Especially because it was the second episode and my God, what a better, you said earlier, Ugh. we don't know the characters yet. It's episode we don't 2. Know them. There's no better way yeah. to get to know the characters than to use this nightmare thing to reveal each of their individual. And I think
1: they like they were they were going for it, <sighs> but they only had 20 some odd minutes, so. I know. It was good though. I mean, I yeah. I really respect the attempt and I really commend them for having this like forward thought, you know, as they were just starting out on a new, mm-hmm. you know, series.
0: I could see the network being like, "Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? You want to dial that back?" Just a bit.
1: I've read. I don't know if it's true. I don't know where the truth is or where the fiction is, but I've read that some of the sequences were edited, you know, in reruns or perhaps that it didn't rerun as often as the other episodes. Wow. So I could see that. I do think that it made its mark. And I think that unlike a lot of other uh, of the shows that we cover, I think somehow the network heard about this. They Mm -hmm. they got some sort of feedback.
0: I could see them doing an edit for the rerun and and making it slightly less traumatizing. Mm -hmm.
1: Because you don't have to look at him for that long, you know?
0: Not really, yeah.
1: And I mean, just base level. They did it for the visual, but they could have done the same concept on just uh, an old plumber that kicked the bucket at camp (laughs) you know what i mean like they Mm -hmm. they could have just glossed over the fact because he died at camp in this scenario anyway right so they could have just said this plumber that died at camp comes back and haunts kids and then done the same thing without the messed up face they just had to add that extra layer of, ugh. They
0: were going for the burn scars of Freddy Krueger. Yes. But they couldn't show the burns. Right. So you give him a mask. But the mask makes him that much creepier.
1: As is the case with, yeah, all of those villains.
0: Which is, you know, I have thoughts on like, when they meet Zeke in their dreams, they're not scared of him. Right, they're so just
1: interacting with him.
0: They had to make choices to dial back the fear. Because if they'd been like so if scared the of him. If kids had
1: been super, super scared, that would have amped up. Other
0: audience members. Exactly. Would have been so much it more It sets terrified. the
1: tone. And as a kid, you, you, whether it's conscious or not, you do take a cue from the reaction of the other characters in the scene.
0: You do. You do. And if they're treating him just like any you know average person, you kind of go, oh, maybe he isn't that scary. Right. But to speak to all this, I wanted to quote one more time from Megan Navarro's article. She says the main reason Zeke has haunted a generation is because he unexpectedly appeared on a sitcom. Yeah. (laughs) Like you said in the first three minutes of our (laughs) episode today. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, But her quote is, For the target audience, Zeke the Plumber's appearance was unexpected and terrifying. The mask, the unassuming outfit, and the gravelly quiet voice instilled actual nightmares for the generation that watched this infamous episode in 1991.
1: Or 96.
0: A boogeyman that appeared out of nowhere and disappeared just as quickly.
1: I do like that.
0: But yeah, now Zeke haunts all of us.
1: Yeah. And thank you to all of our listeners that have uh, been letting us know how much this affected you. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really fun idea to explore in general.
0: I love the summer camp concept. I love a spooky summer. We're here. You it's guys hot. taking
1: shots? How you doing? Yeah,
0: you guys better take care of yourselves. Drink some water. Taking sips. Excessive heat warnings.
1: There are really just a few takeaways from this for me. Number one, again, don't throw away your stuffed animals. No. Just don't do it. There's no good reason for that. Mm-mm. Ruffles are absolutely superior. I don't care what anyone says. As a chip.
0: <laughs> yeah, we didn't way even. We didn't gotta even didn't watch get the episode. The, you got to watch uh, <laughs> the episode
1: to understand it. That's okay. I'm just saying. Ruffles are better. Yeah, they it's are. It's okay to be wrong if you disagree. <laughs> that's that's my, those are my thoughts on the subject.
0: He needed the ruffles because he needed the crunch, Kalen, not for but the flavor.
1: I didn't even say anything about the flavor. I just said they're a spirit chip. <laughs> <laughs>
0: texture.
1: (laughs) Sponsor us, please.
0: All right, Ruffles.
1: That was another funny thing. I was like, I wonder if this was pre-Ruffles trademark because they literally say Ruffles, not like waves or whatever.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Who knows?
1: It was a good time, though. Yeah. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a vegan pizza in my mouth.
0: (laughs) Vegan pizza. You have to have vegan. (laughs) I figured I would tell you that I have freeze pops and you'd be like they have this thing in them that i can't eat because i have i really hate that i'm
1: that kid did i become that kid i just i became like allergy kid yeah i wasn't that way as a child guys you know me now i feel like i have evolved quite a bit as a person but everything else in my body has deteriorated
0: (laughs) you've um evolved mentally for sure more well-rounded you know personality
1: But I wish I could just be baby Kaylin again for one day and stick a pizza in my mouth. Not vegan.
0: Yeah, dude, I wish you could. I wish you could. Last thing I have is that, um, do you know where the word plumber comes from?
1: No, where?
0: The Latin word for lead was plumbum. For what? (laughs) (laughs) The, The Latin word for lead?
1: Lead, like pipe, like lead pipe?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah. The symbol for lead is PB. Ah. For plumbum. Plumbum. So that's where plumber comes from.
1: I never would have guessed.
0: (laughs) I'm glad I was able to teach you something.
1: (laughs) I learned so much here today. Wow. Listener, please, please share your favorite camp. So even if it's not spooky, I just love summer camp. Tell me about your favorite summer camp experiences. Tell us about your favorite summer camp ghost story that you heard at summer camp. Maybe we'll even have an opportunity to read some of those.
0: That'd be great. Maybe
1: even over on our Patreon. I don't know. I'd love to. I think that would be a super fun summer activity. So let us know please share. I'm down for that. Summertime trauma, summertime <laughs> sadness.
0: Sad girl summer.
1: Also, we need to shout out our new patron, Jessica L. Heck yeah. Thank you, Jessica, for Thank uh, you. supporting us. We always say this, we are intending to put more content on our Patreon. It comes and goes in waves just the as our um, comes in energy and ability does <laughs> as uh, introverted, busy millennials, workaholic millennials, but rest assured. If you support us, we see you and we love you.
0: Hope this got you guys in the, in the right spooky summer mindset. And
1: if it didn't, go watch the episode or go just turn on an episode of Bug Juice.
0: Or a number of old Goosebumps episodes mm, are yeah. set at summer camp, too.
1: There's Mary-Kate and Ashley, the case of the haunted camp. Ooh, I'm pretty sure. A
0: little, a little teaser yeah. for maybe later in the summer.
1: I'm working on it. I'm thinking about it. It's a mountain to climb. I've threatened for two years to do a Mary-Kate and Ashley episode, so we'll see if that pans
0: out this summer. We'll see. If you want more spooks in your life, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast,
1: <laughs> Or you can find us on um, your social media platform of choice. That's right. The TikTok, the Instagram. And we have, what is it, That's 53
0: other episodes? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. To? 53 other episodes to listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, stay cool, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening.
1: Literally, stay cool.
0: Go jump in a lake.
1: Jump in a lake. Eat a freeze pop.
0: Go take a long walk off a short pier <laughs> with a freeze pop in your hand.
1: That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews.
0: Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration.
1: Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast.
0: Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone.
1: So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.